In this episode of Midlife AF, I am going to be talking to the really interesting Dr. Louise Oliver, and we're going to be talking about whether or not breathing might be the missing piece in your perimenopausal and menopausal jigsaw puzzle. Again, um, Louise was part of my live AF series of Instagrams that I did in the lead up to the Great Aussie Alcohol Experiment in June. Um, And what's particularly interesting for me in this conversation was the effect of the perimenopause and menopausal hormones on snoring and what we can do to radically improve snoring by just using our breath and the contraindications of snoring on our health, well-being and sleep. So over to myself and Dr. Louise Oliver. If you're a woman in midlife whose intuition is telling you that giving booze the elbow might be the next right move, then Midlife AF is the podcast for you. Join counsellor, psychotherapist, this naked mind and grey area drinking alcohol coach Emma Gilmore for a weekly natter about parenting quirky teens, menopause, relationships, and navigating this thing called midlife alcohol-free. If you're feeling that life could be so much more, that you're sick and tired of doing all the things for everyone else, if your intuition is waving her arms manically at you, saying it could all be so much easier if we didn't have to keep drinking, come with me. Together we'll find our groove without booze. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this with us. Um, This is Dr. Louise Oliver. I wanted Louise to come and speak to us because she has such an interesting specialism. And particularly for me, um, just things that she's been talking about that I've come across through social media, I, I have no idea of. And I think there's probably a lot of women out there who have no idea the effect that breathing can have and the ability that breathing has to change our outcomes in midlife. Um, So, Louise, I'll hand over to you. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yes, sure. Um, so I'm Louise Oliver. I'm a, um, a, I've been a GP uh, for over 20 years and I, I was very fortunate at the beginning of my career to have a little, little bit of extra training in women's health. So essentially I've, I've followed a journey throughout that time um, and very bizarrely ended up, um, well, if I'm being honest, I chose mindfulness in an appraisal just for um, <laughs> just, just a, a random random thing. I hadn't planned it and then I've gone down this journey and just found, discovered breathing and, and, and actually how important it is, particularly as women transition through the perimenopause and menopause um, and become utterly obsessed with it. So I'm still a GP, but I do yeah. uh, my breathing work as well. So Absolutely amazing. And I've, for me, breath is a phenomenal tool in our toolbox anyway and I've worked with people who struggle with alcohol or people who are looking to change their relationship with alcohol and um, there's lots of reasons why being breathing and being able to regulate yourself using breath can be really really helpful in that area 
but I had no idea about the area that you, you cover. Now, also, I wanted to fess up, and I, I'm very open about my snoring. I'm an open snorer, but I find as I got as I've got older, and I think Louise will say this is very common. I had no idea it was anything to do with perimenopause. Um, my snoring has become like an everyday thing. It's not just uh, oh, you know, it, but it's an everyday thing. I know now I cannot share a room with anybody if I go away for the weekend, um, and. It actually is a little bit of a problem in that way, but I think there's more things to it, isn't there, Louise, than just, you know, the inconvenience of having somebody sleeping who's snoring. Oh, can you tell us a bit more about that? I mean, what, I mean, certainly breathing, um, you know, I, I know that we can use it to calm ourselves down and it's a really useful tool. Um, the, the one thing I think that I didn't realise was how important your 24-hour breathing pattern is. Um, you know, obviously, um, I did start meditating as I, as I sort of went on my mindfulness journey and sort of recognised that breathing in a certain way um, during that time was helpful, but, but not really sort of fully appreciated how we breathe 24 hours a day, how that affects us, and how we breathe when awake very much dictates how when we sleep actually dictates whether we go, whether we stay in that fight-flight zone or whether we actually end up going into that parasympathetic, um, you know, relaxation response. Um, but what actually, what should happen when we're asleep is we go into that parasympathetic relaxation response, and yeah. then our body can do, can do all those repair and recover processes that we need when we're asleep. It's a very active process sleep. But if we remain in that fight-flight zone, the body thinks we're being attacked unsafe and it will prioritize sort of waking us up actually yeah um because it perceives that if we're breathing heavily and noisily it perceives yeah. that there's a threat so it actually affects our health and well-being um and that's the thing that i don't think certainly medically i know all the negative things about sleep apnea but snoring yeah. is on a spectrum yes not as bad yeah. as sleep apnea, but it's still there um so it's really it's crucially important how we how we breathe at night i find that fascinating i had absolutely no idea that you stay in fight or flight yeah. when you're breathing that's i mean no wonder people are so exhausted right it's... and and um, you know i'm an ex uh, an ex perimenopausal snorer so i started mm. you know i'm um i a healthy way i run three times a week yeah. and i started snoring as a, as a new thing and, and, you know, going through that experience of my sleep was rubbish and then trying to do a professional job the next day, it makes me irritable. My husband who's next to me, obviously he's going to be disturbed, so then he gets irritable. And then you do, you end up sort of in separate rooms yeah. because it's very unpleasant for the person next to you and that's not good for relationships. Um, yeah. And certainly HRT for me, I had about four symptoms and three of them disappeared with, with starting HRT, but my snoring didn't. And then yeah. it until I corrected my breathing and I didn't think my breathing was that bad um and it's gone and then the transformation then that I sleep so much better I don't get up to pass urine which has been the most shocking. oh my god like honestly it's uh, because what people don't realize um one of the symptoms of sleep apnea is passing urine frequently at night oh. so it's a spectrum. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no it's a spectrum and yes. so it's you know, it's, and snoring's on that spectrum. So, yeah. you know, 
know, we may be getting up in the night because our bladder's not as good as it was, yes. but certainly I don't get up now to pass urine, and it's a common anecdotal thing. Yeah. I couldn't give you a scientific uh, on no. that, but lots of people who improve their breathing don't because they sleep deeper. It's all it's complicated how it works. I tried yes. to look at science a bit. I'm not convinced I can tell you a scientific um, yes. uh, thing behind it, but um, but it is um, yeah. If you've got sleep apnea, it's possibly something to do with dropping the oxygen levels and the effect on the kidney. Yeah. I'm not sure quite how snoring impacts that, but but anecdotally, people I've worked with sleep and don't get up to pass urine as much. So, which, which is brilliant because then you don't, don't you know you're not then your mind's not active. Yeah. You know, if you don't wake up to go to the toilet, then your mind's not active, is it? And then yeah. you're more likely to sleep yeah. well. So, yeah. I mean, this is this is really huge. I think because fatigue is such a huge symptom for a lot yeah. of women of perimenopause, and a lot of women who drink in perimenopause yeah. are drinking just to push through. You know, because they're so tired. <laughs> and actually, what it's doing is potentially making things worse. And then, you know, we've got the snoring and so to, to tell us louise have you got things that can help what how can we know what 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 do you recommend people to do in this situation i mean i think i think first of all i i sort of come at it from i've just created a sort of three a's approach to sort of awareness yes. and action so yeah. the first thing is being aware because i think so many women you know and i'm guilty of this you know I've, I've looked you know I've looked after women for a long number of years mm -hmm. and I think is there that sleep disorder breathing increases as as we go through the um the menopause yes. but it, it, you know certainly I wasn't aware of it and a lot of the menopause specialists I speak to are not completely aware of it um now it may be I, I don't know certainly I used to think there's not a lot you can do about it apart from telling people don't drink alcohol lose weight yeah. Yeah. got nasal congestion use a nasal yeah. spray and, and it wasn't it wasn't that successful that no. i've used that i suppose perhaps the patients the word gets out it doesn't help there's nothing the yeah. doctor can do um etc but i think just being aware that um how you breathe when you're asleep is important yeah. so and just just sort of checking you know sort of checking with your breathing so if you're starting to sort of think you know what is my breathing like you know how you how can you assess this mm. well just listen over the next week check in with yourself and sort of think you know how am I breathing so the first basic thing is we've give, been given a nose it's an organ it communicates with the rest of our body use it to yeah. breathe in and out yeah. of. Um, so are you nasal breathing when you're when you're awake asleep you might have to ask somebody else to try and assess that um, and when you're moving if you look at the number of okay. people and you walk down the street just look how many people are mouth breathing. Just look, and they're ah. walking down the street. Ah. It's it's for various reasons, and I could go on and on. This it's so inefficient. As soon as you mouth breathe, it's right. Inefficient. Right. Um, so just assess. The simplest thing is: am I am I nasal breathing twenty four yes. hours a day? And then yes, her really really good breathing is it's it's slow it's gentle um the actual if you tune into it the exhale is longer than the inhale and yeah. there's a very slight pause before you breathe in again okay. so you know if you're at rest and you can hear yourself breathing 
and you're chugging away there's some room for improvement there um we also should generally 80 percent of our breathing should be using our diaphragm um i don't talk about belly breathing because yeah. women have this brilliant ability to we can all move our stomach and not actually move our diaphragm yes or a lot of us can yeah. anyway um so if we're moving our diaphragm the lower ribs at the front go out as we breathe in and then as um so yeah go out as we breathe in and then yeah. as we breathe out the lower ribs go in okay um but it's generally that the breath the breathing is slow it's gentle it's yes. quiet there's a slight um there's a longer exhale and there's a slight pause before you breathe in again um yes. if you breathe like that in the day that's how you'll breathe at night at night that mm. tells you your body's safe and then Wow. you'll sleep better um wow. and you can't stop you can't stop you can't stop everybody snoring because it yeah. sort of depends on the size of the nasal pa passages yes. uh, but you can you can generally make a very very significant wow. difference wow. definitely wow. um and a people who've had gaps in their breathing at night who often often and to be fair, often people come to me because they don't want to be diagnosed with sleep apnea, they don't want a CPAP machine. Yes. Um, so, so it's, I'm a, it's their wife or their partner who's telling, you know, or their um, husband that's saying, oh, she, you know, you've got gaps in your breathing at night. So yeah. they've not been formally diagnosed, yeah. but then, you know, then their breathing becomes quieter at night, they, they're less noisy, and then their sleeping partner's reporting um, that the gaps have stopped. So, yeah. Um, but um but yeah so um but um i don't know if you, do you want me to go on to sort of how how people can sort of then help themselves definitely i wanted to ask you a really quick silly question and you're probably <laughs> going to be like that is ridiculous and also that's unsafe i don't know but i've heard people talking about putting um tape over their mouths when they sleep is that connected completely yeah so we um if we think we're aiming for that breathing pattern to be in and out of the nose gentle slow using the diaphragm we we we, we need we need to be using the nose um okay. clearly if you are mouth breathing in the day and you start to train yourself to nasal breathing in the day that's going to make it more likely that you're using your nose at night yes. but we you know there's muscle memory there's nerve connections if you've been mouth breathing for a very long time that's a habit Yes. And, it's an, and you're trying to break an unconscious habit yes. of mouth breathing when you sleep. Um, that needs to be broken. But these, we've got, you've got to, it's not just taping the mouth. So it, okay. that, that, it's not just that. And the reason being, if, if you think about it, the, the airway at night is actually not that big. Um, it's probably about the size of a thumb if it's right. open. Perhaps the size of a big biro if it's, if it's compromised. So it's quite small. So we've got to, there's two components to it. One is we've got to get the airway open and as strong as possible. Yes. Because if it, um, if it vibrates, that's snoring. If it collapses, that's the sleep apnea. So we've got to work okay. on that. But then you've got to think, what volume of air are you, are you if, you, if you think of it like a straw, you know, yes. what amount of air are you bringing in and out of that straw? So these sort of two components of it. Um, so the first one would be if what people, um, well, I didn't realise, so um, is the tongue, actually the back of the tongue actually forms part of the airway. So okay. if, if the tongue is in the bottom of the mouth, 
it's too far back and it's actually narrowing that airway okay see me and trying to work it out in my mouth <laughs> honestly i certainly not have mine in the correct position at all and if you think about it as soon as we open our mouth the the tongue is connected it's only connected at the bottom isn't it yeah so it's going to be in it's going to be too it's going to be on the floor of the mouth or mid cavity yeah okay and try and breathe with it in the roof of the mouth so you can because you can but have an open mouth so so you can but you're not <laughs> You know, that's, it's just too hard, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. The, the correct tongue position is um, up on the roof of the mouth. So sort of actually sticking your tongue with a tiny bit of like suction pressure to the roof of your mouth. Um, don't put the tip of the tongue right up against the front of the teeth because it's a really strong mm. muscle and you end up with um, sort of funny shaped teeth. And I don't want any <laughs> complaints that uh, people. <laughs> so, um, so you stick your tongue on the roof of your mouth just just behind the um, your front teeth and then you want to seal your lips to make sure your nasal breathing and you don't want to clench your teeth because the first thing is people clench your teeth mm. so i like i like just a tiny bit of space just between my teeth bit mm. of freeway space between my teeth um and and just that relaxed face and actually it takes a lot of practice to do that um yeah and you need to be practicing that probably i think for two to three months to create that muscle memory that nerve right. connection so that when you're asleep yeah that actually stays in that position yeah wow that's so, so interesting so and, if, and tell me oh, sorry don't, i didn't mean no, to interrupt you do you would you be able to tell me a little bit about the so what is it in perimenopause i'm assuming it's estrogen in some way that changes what happens for us with our breathing yeah we're not we're not quite sure what happens okay. um, certainly um something happens there's a there's a sleep cohort study um in america um that really um showed that as women transition through the menopause um there's an in steep increase in the sleep disorder breathing rates um, it's still less than men there's still always more men that have sleep disorder breathing than right. women, but we have this steep increase um and and it was they took out confounding factors so things like alcohol weight and despite yeah. that it went up um it's it's difficult there's not enough research on it so we don't okay. know it is yeah. it is something to do with the hormones particularly at the back of the throat we tend right. to get the, we lose some tone at the back of the throat it's a muscle yeah. Yeah. so it's a series of muscles at the back that can collapse um so um so some of it is that we just we're losing muscle tone mm. the other issue is um progesterone is yeah. actually respiratory stimulant so um yeah. it actually um well how it does it is when when we've got progesterone around it actually makes us more sensitive to either low oxygen or higher carbon dioxide and it actually makes us breathe a little bit faster okay um okay. and then actually so then we then we pretend that we have big changes obviously in these hormone levels don't mm. we um over time um but it's really interesting progesterone. Like I haven't definitely, obviously the, the progesterone that I tend to prescribe now, the utrogestin is definitely better well tolerated than the synthetic ones I used to prescribe. Um, yeah. But, but it's interesting whether I would say if you're someone that's progesterone intolerant, really, really just assess your breathing because I have some women that have progesterone intolerant and I think it's because they when they have progesterone it makes them breathe faster 
So right. then they start some symptoms of hyperventilation. Yeah. Um, right. So it so it's quite interesting because you mm. you'd think from a disorder point of view, progesterone would help because it makes you breathe. Um, it, it has some effect on the back of the airway, but but actually in some women it, I, it seems to make it a bit worse. So it's really interesting. I don't think we know enough about it. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, but, but yeah, it's definitely but it, a thing that people notice, isn't it? Definitely. Um, and mm. you can strengthen so that. You know, when we're talking about the airway, so the tongue position, nasal breathing is crucial to open the airway. But the next thing then is to make the muscles of that airway as strong as possible. Um, and um, the, um, I know that there's a, a specialty called myofunctional therapy, and, and they're right. very much involved in that. But that's not something that we, certainly on the NHS, I now have no access to that. Um, yeah. And, but... Mr. Vic Veer, he's a, um, an ENT surgeon in London that runs a sleep apnea and snoring clinic. And he's got a video on YouTube okay. Um, okay. for exercises for sleep apnea and snoring. Um, right. And he picked out the exercises that got some evidence that strengthen okay. the back of the throat. And practicing those literally once a day can help as well. Wow, amazing. Um, and so, Louise, you became you were a GP you got interested in meditation and I'm guessing breathing through that and then you've been specializing in women's women's health yeah since then and in terms of breathing for health in the perimenopause and menopause yeah um outside of improving your breath while you sleep yeah. what other what other um, implications does it have for us as perimenopausal, menopausal women? I mean, I think I, 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 my, my personal opinion, having, you know, been looking after women for over 20 years, is I think you've got to look at transitioning through the perimenopause and the menopause and thriving yes. postmenopause. Um, you, you have to see it as a jigsaw puzzle. That, that's, yes. that's my conclusion. Um, I think if you're someone that, and I, I certainly was like that, and, and I'm not now, mm. where you're just going to, I'm going to push through, I feel rubbish, I'm just going to push through, push, push, push through, not actually yeah. step back, I, you're going to struggle. Um, yeah. but I think you've got to, you've got to step back, you've got to look at that jigsaw puzzle, you've got to be honest to yourself, mm. and there are loads of pieces to that jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. So I'm going to rattle off a few. So obviously yes. what you drink, important yes. what you eat when you eat um hormones breathing um spirituality sexuality fun yeah. um, being creative you know um exercise um resistance training you know yes. on and on so i think people need to step back look at that mm -hmm. jigsaw puzzle and be really honest with yourself what one or two pieces if you worked on them would you have the most to gain and, yeah. it, and it may be, you know, alcohol's one of them that someone yeah. might go, that's a piece, but I'm yeah. not ready to deal with that yet. Um, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not at the place in my life that I'm ready to sort of admit that or work yeah. on it. What I'd say then is don't shove it under the carpet. I'd say put that to one side, recognise it's yeah. a piece, but you're not ready to work on it. Come yes. back to it you are, yes. and then pick another piece um, that you're ready to work on and then... And, and don't aim for, um, oh God, you know, I'm a perfectionist, I tell you. So I've learned the yeah. hard way. Don't aim for perfection. You're always going to yes. be let down. It's an illusion. Just, just <laughs> work on it. 
um, yeah. to get some benefit from it. And then when you feel like you've got enough, but you've not run yourself ragged and aimed for perfection, then you can go on to another piece. But yeah. I would say that breathing is one of those pieces. Yeah. Um, and breathe, how you breathe 24 hours a day, that's what I'm saying. Mm. Um, mm. And I would say to women, consider it, consider it and assess yourself. Is breathing relevant to me? You know? Yeah. Isn't and you're one of the lucky ones that you think you're breathing okay, that's fine, you know, choose your yeah. other pieces. Um, but breathing it makes our body if we're breathing inefficiently, your every cell, tissue, organ, system in the body has to use breathing. You know, there's yeah. not one cell in our body that will not survive without breathing. Yeah. So and our body will survive if you breathe inefficiently, yes. but you're setting your foundation of your body to be inefficient. That's it. So how that's it. Then anything on top of that, you know, um, and I and I will caveat that I am not saying breathing is a cure all. No. I am. I will never no. say that. No. But I'm saying it's the basic foundation of life, and to have an efficient breathing pattern is a, I think, a great yeah. way to start. Um, so, um, yeah. But yeah. Um, and one but, of the ways of regulating the nervous system, which is like, as you say, it's like when our when our anxiety's up, we're in fight or flight. That's you know, one of the great ways to be able to do that. I had no idea about the sleeping stuff. I think that's fascinating. Um, and I, I was just wondering, because I know you do work with women in this way. You do, you have a course, don't you? Which I am definitely signing up to because it sounds like exactly what I need. <laughs> because I would love to not be, love not to snore so much. But what do you, tell me a little bit about that. How do you, how do yeah. you work with women? So I think, I think the, so it's, it's recognising, so obviously we can talk about opening up the airway, and you know, as we say, yeah. and getting the tongue position, breathing, but, it, but then the crucial thing is a lot of us over-breathe. Right. And this concept I didn't really sort of um, get a big handle on. Um, and we, it's amazing how our body um particularly in modern day times, it generally fuels a sort of slight propensity to sort of overbreathe. And then if we overbreathe, various things happen then. So we are, our body's using, the basic thing is we're using too much energy then on breathing. Right. Because the actual breathing is, a, you know, uses a proportion of our body's energy requirements. So personally, I only want to spend the minimum amount of energy on my breathing because yes. I want more energy to do all the other stuff I want to enjoy. Um, so you so you want to you want it to be efficient. You you want it. You want your breathing because breathing, as you've said, your breathing actually sends a signal to your brain mm. to tell your brain, are you in a fight? You know, yeah. are you being threatened or are you safe? Yes. Yeah. So if we train our breathing to be slow, gentle, in and out of the nose, that that exhale is slightly longer than the yeah. inhale, and there's a slight pause. It's telling our body 24 hours a day we're safe. Yeah. Um, and one of the, and, and we're getting evidence through now that actually, um, in particular nasal breathing, there's, there's a connection between um, our nose. Our nose is connected to our brain with the olfactory nerve. And actually that nerve is connected to the amygdala, which has a role in uh, the feet, And it has yeah. a role in our hippocampus, is connected to our yeah. hippocampus, which is memory wow. center. Wow. Um, yeah, and, and this makes sense evolutionary wise, doesn't it? Because if you if you've got to remember smells or tastes that are yeah. either going to be bad for us and yes. potentially kill us, 
or it's good for us and it helps our survival yeah we have to remember that and we have to remember whether to mount a fear response if we smell something that isn't good um so it's crucial and if you work on making your breathing as essentially as gentle and as slow as possible um you you feel calmer um and you just and i i i definitely feel like this and there's there's lots of knock-on effects my hay fever has been low better since i've been um, affected breathing but um but then so a lot of the a lot of the course is about training your body to do more with less yeah so to essentially normalize the breathing volume that you're breathing mm-hmm. um because a lot of us over breathe and particularly mm-hmm. if we're over breathe if we've got sleep disorder breathing um yeah. and it's about training the body to breathe with um the, with the amount of air it needs yeah. you know not yes, over okay yeah i find that so fascinating about the memory i wonder if you know because a lot of i I, one of my symptoms uh, and i it's adhd perimenopause yeah lovely symptom together is of memory you know short-term memory issues brain fog those kind of things um and so it sounds like that would have an impact on that as well but this i mean this i have to say when when i've like looking into sort of particularly sleep apnea which is obviously the very extreme end of um sleep disorder breathing when you look at what what it does to the hippocampus to that memory center i, I it actually i i feel i'm definitely more emotional i'm more connected with um you know since i've been more mindful I, I, yeah I, I sort of well you feel more connected with others mm. don't you when, when i read the papers of um they did a study on people who had obviously died and they mm. looked at the effect of um they, they all had sleep apnea and they looked yeah. at their campus their memory center yeah and they looked at the amount of demyelination so demyelination means the amount of removal of the fatty covering on the nerves of Mm. that memory center Mm. and the severity of their sleep apnea matched the severity of their demyelination and that sort of makes sense because when you have sleep apnea you desaturate your brain so you drop your oxygen levels cannot be good in any way shape or form no. for your brain which is so metabolically active and requires so much oxygen yeah. um and certainly that study i i found it quite upsetting really because i thought the amount of people that i see and i ask like you know it's on my radar now and i i ask them you know how do you breathe at night any snoring do you think you've got mm-hmm. any gaps in the breathing and the amount of people that laugh that and and say oh yeah my husband's always nudging me or yeah. my partner's always, and and it's not a laughing matter no. it it isn't yeah. and um you know obviously medically you can have a CPAP machine there's yeah. some other things that you can have done but but just the basics of tongue position nasal breathing strong throat muscles and breathe the volume you're meant to breathe not yeah. over breathe can make a massive difference wow and tell tell us Louise I don't mean to be scaremongery but I, I I had no real idea again from my own ignorance of the impact on our bodies because I know that the, obviously we've got the fatigue side of things because you're waking up we've got the nervous system which has so many implications oh. anyway because if we're in fight or flight we're like you know we're not working at full capacity we're like in this constricted space um but what else is the because I, I think it just really quite serious isn't it like you say 
It, it is, and I, I, I find it, because I, I don't like scaring people, I really don't no, like no, scaring people. No. Uh, but the evidence is there and, and, and people want to be informed. Yeah. Um, and um, But in that study that I mentioned about women and this increase in sleep disorder breathing as the transition through menopause, yeah. the women were less likely to come to the doctor or the health professional um, saying that snoring or they've got gaps in breathing. They were more likely to complain of things like fatigue, headaches, yeah. uh, nightmares, um, th things like that. So... Yeah. Um, it's not on our radar. It's always, it certainly wasn't on my radar before this deep dive. Um, but essentially, um, when if obviously sleep disorder breathing is a spectrum, you've got the, the gaps yeah. in the breathing at the end, which is sleep apnea. You've got heavy, you know, heavy snoring in the middle, and then you've actually got this sort of increased resistance to the air coming in yeah. at the other end. Um, and obviously, the data that we've got is more on sleep apnea, that extreme bit of it. Yeah. But it's got to be effective affecting it all and the negative outcomes are generally due to either the oxygen levels dropping or yeah. that persistence of that fight flight um fight flight um yeah. system so um one of the things would be um the cortisol remains raised um, yes. and your adrenaline yeah. remains raised um so that fuels unfortunately increased risk of heart attack stroke um blood pressure um, yeah. You have an increased risk of weight gain and yeah. diabetes because yeah. that cortisol and adrenaline, and obviously You're holding on to everything, yeah. Completely, it should adrenaline cortisol should drop overnight. Cortisol yeah. steroids that should drop, um, and unfortunately, the more weight you gain, the more likely you're going to have sleep disorder breathing. Yeah, so it's a horrible circle. Yeah. Um, the memory problems are generally, I believe, due to the dropping of the oxygen level yeah. um, and some, perhaps some demyelination of, of that area. You're more likely to have an accident, and unfortunately, some of those are fatal and life-changing. Mm. Um, and um, you know, just fatigue, brain fog, and you know, women and you know, um, women or or men, you know, ending up that they, they choose a job that's perhaps slightly less taxing on the brain, and yeah. um, because they can't concentrate, and that's yeah. it's such a shame because. You know, we've got so much at this stage in our life. We've got so much life experience and knowledge that, that we don't actually recognise. No. You know, that's a pat on the back. And actually, you know, it, for us to stay in the workplace and actually help and have that knowledge and life experience yes. is actually it's really important for our society. Definitely. And if we're so tired and, and got brain fog because we're snoring or got gaps in the breathing, we, you know, and that could potentially be made so much better um so yes there's some really negative outcomes um obviously that that's the data there is to do with sleep apnea as yeah. I said, it is sliding scale so yeah absolutely and what an amazing opportunity as well and I, I think as you say it's it's absolutely there's lots and lots of pieces in the puzzle but to me breathing feels like our real basics it's a bit like sleep it's a bit like rest it's like if we don't have those things you know we can't and what function and what so what i would say is if if someone's got an inefficient breathing pattern so they're not breathing as i've described then you know what what would they gain from from working on that so even if you're not snoring yes. or got gaps in breathing generally i find people sleep better anyway just because yes. they if your breathing's quieter you're always going to have more of a relaxation response yeah the other thing is you're less breathless with exercise yeah. So that's a great, you know, because you can if you're breathless with exercise, I'm always always movement. It's breathless with exercise, Louise. Which is going to put you <laughs> off doing it. <laughs> but can you, and can stretchy. I, 
is you think your oxygen levels have dropped okay i can promise you they do not drop so if i ask you to um so i do all my running now i've trained myself i do all my running um nasal breathing even up a hill um and you know when you if if i ask you to go for a walk or a run and i said right maintain nasal breathing keep your tongue in the correct position but when 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 you absolutely feel you have to open your mouth um that's what I call air hunger. Yeah. So at that point, when you feel like, oh my god, I can't, I'm not getting enough oxygen. Yeah. I feel like I can't breathe. It's not a lack of oxygen. Right. Okay, it's your carbon dioxide that's gone up. So we, if I, so if I tell you, when I take a breath in, I throw out about seventy five percent of the oxygen I've just breathed in. So I'll just mm. say that again. When I when I breathe in, I actually I actually throw out about seventy five percent of the oxygen I've just breathed in. So if I take a bigger breath, that's not going to get more oxygen in because I'm already chucking out excess. Yeah. And even when I'm exercising, it depends on how heavy the exercise, I'm probably still throwing out about 25% of the oxygen yeah. I've breathed in. So the issue is not this, we've got loads of oxygen in our lungs. The issue is getting our blood cells to release the oxygen to our tissues. Okay. That actually, you get better oxygen delivery when carbon dioxide is around okay so if you and we've all got so you know like if you go for that run oh, yeah. so you go for that walk um, or yeah. you're doing whatever exercise and i'm yeah. saying maintain your breathing and you get to a certain point and you're like oh my god no I, I, you know i have to breathe yeah then um if i check your oxygen levels they would be normal and what's happened is your carbon dioxide's gone up but you can train your body to be less sensitive to the buildup of that yeah that, right that's what interesting I, and it's that wow yeah and it's that what made you if you train yourself like that that's what tends to make the breathing slower because if okay if you think when you breathe in if someone's breathing fast it's the thing that actually drives breathing the initial one is carbon dioxide so okay. if they're sensitive to the buildup of carbon dioxide it's it's that that drives the next breath but if, I, if you train your body to be less sensitive to that, then you don't feel that need to take the breath quite as quickly. That's so interesting. Yeah. So re- do you know when, when Kate Winslet, who did yes. uh, Titanic, yeah? yes. so she, her, last, her last, I think it was her last film, Avatar, um, she had to do, there's some free diving bits to that. And they, she yes. obviously did a stunt double. I heard her talk and she was like, no way, you know, uh, same age as me, I think. And she yeah. was like, no, I'll train me to do it. And she was trained by a professional free diving yeah. very dangerous. You have to be trained properly. Um, and she did a seven-minute breath hold. And I think she'd be, well, according to Google, she'd be uh, Tom Cruise's breath hold. Seven wow. minutes. Wow. So, you, don't, you don't need to do free diving to, to sleep a bit better and do like <laughs> breath hold next time. But, well, um, it's, but yeah. it's really interesting because I can't, when, I, when I've done Wim Hof breathing before, it's mm-hmm. the one thing I can't do. So I've been to like the, you know, workshops and and thank you everyone who's saying that they're enjoying this conversation with Louise it's fantastic isn't it I'm, I'm so delighted um but I get to that and it, I get really panicky there's a bit where you have to sort of like hold it's not even really hold your breath it's just not be breathing in or out for an elongated period of time and everybody else in the room is like 
totally nailing it and I'm there I, I feel like I'm suffocating well, this... I was thinking well that's quite a big in uh, probably a good indication that I'm not breathing properly completely so this there is there is another way you can it's really, really interesting. How, um, breathing effectively, we've not actually got, um, we've not got like a proper medical definition of it, and we've not actually got a proper way of really <laughs> assessing it, um, which actually makes it very difficult to study. And this is one of the unfortunate yeah. that you know, if I can't diagnose it, um, and I don't have a decent, I don't have a, like a gold standard diagnosis and a um, a gold standard assessment, I suppose, really. Um, we, we have got we, we have got a definition of dysfunctional breathing, but it's the assessment part of it. So if I can't fully easily assess someone enough for a medical study, then it, how can I then prove improvement? So it makes yeah. it really difficult to study. Yeah. But um, there's a some um, people who did a paper, uh, Kaisel and colleagues, and they um, they did an assessment where they asked four questions and did a breath hold time, a comfortable breath hold time. Mm. And that's a really good screening tool. It doesn't diagnose yeah. um, what we call dysfunctional breathing, but what it does do is it highlights that you could do with some work on yes. improving your breath. Um, no, nothing's perfect, but it's quite good. But the breath hold time is really interesting. And the breath hold time is... Um, it's generally so if and i would say so if you basically you just want to be sat sort of um quietly beforehand not over breathing the best time to do it is before um so after you wake up and before you've eaten um and okay. you just gentle breath in through nose gentle breath out through nose pitch and hold and you just relax into it and all you're doing is all that's happening is your carbon dioxide is building and then at some point your body will then think oh you're not breathing and will send a signal to breathe when you reach that sensitivity your personal sensitivity to carbon dioxide and that's when you get a contraction in your neck or a contraction here um and ideally we want that above um we want that above 25 seconds yeah. um people who have sleep apnea though a particular type of sleep apnea um, they can have a falsely raised one so just be careful with that so you need to be yeah you need to be looking more at how you breathe but um but yes exactly so that that the fact that you have snoring at night you're very breathless with exercise to me that's shouting out to me that you are sensitive to that buildup of carbon dioxide and mm. you would benefit from training yourself to be mm. less sensitive um mm. the one um the one thing that's so bizarre though about carbon dioxide is it brings that feeling of air hunger doesn't it as you described yes. it makes you suffocate yes yeah Yes, um, but what is so bizarre about it? Once you get past that, and there's various mm. exercises that we do, mm. um, that that sort of sort of make it more easy to tolerate it, and you can sit with it more. Yes. Um, carbon dioxide is actually a narcotic gas. Right. It's actually sedating and calming to oh. the brain and the nervous system, so that to the, oh. uh, the spinal cord and the. So you could use it as a general anaesthetic. Wow. But it causes that feeling of suffocation. And the, I believe they're doing some research on using it as um, a treatment for anxiety and panic. Wow. But you don't need a canister of carbon dioxide because you've got your own carbon dioxide. <laughs> yes. yes. Train yourself. Yes. Um, what I find is that people then go through this period where, yes, it, the, you, you've got to train yourself to be a little bit less sensitive. So obviously yes. it's a little bit uncomfortable just not not enough it's very gentle it's very teaspoon yes. to get used to that carbon dioxide but then once yes. you get used to it and you realize 
it's helping you, people actually love it and actually find it really calming. Wow. So you go from feeling suffocated and actually like, I don't like this. And then it's actually that like, I really like sort yes. of, um, sort of raising my carbon dioxide and just sitting with it a little bit because I find it really calming. And it's so, it's I so can calm. imagine that actually. Lovely to see. Um, um, I can see um, a question. We've got a little there. question, yes, from Carol. Um, so what, what about asthma sufferers? I get a bit panicky holding my breath. So yeah, so asthma is, asthma, um, it's so common in asthma to overbreed, absolutely, <laughs> because, because you have that fear of having an asthma attack and particularly, you know, if you've had someone that's been in hospital with that asthma or had a really bad asthma attack, it is horrible, you know, to feel like you can't breathe. Um, so people with asthma commonly overbreed. So most of us probably only need, say, four to six litres a minute to, to breathe effectively. Um, an asthmatic patient might breathe 10 litres a minute, 15 litres a minute, you know, that in that excess. Yeah. And for them to, or in order for them to maintain that breathing volume, there's a huge energy cost on yeah. that. They then start to get symptoms of hyperventilation. So, you know, they might get the right. tingling around the lips, the fingers. Um, they, they, can, they can feel, there's, a, there's lots of different symptoms. You, can, you, know, yeah. you know, if people have a panic attack and they get all those symptoms, it's, yes. it's those. And they start to use the wrong muscles as well. Um, so they can start to get pain in their neck. And yeah, right various things because they're not they're not breathing effectively um and breathing retraining can be really great for asthma um for two two reasons one you get the breathing volume better but Mm -hmm. the other one is if as an asthmatic if you're mouth breathing you are bringing cold dry air into your lungs and cold dry air triggers a cough reflex and triggers so yes you have to train if you've got asthma you really need nice. to train yourself. You've got to warm it up first. Warm it up and moisturise it. Yeah. I, knew. I did not know that. That's amazing. Carol, does that answer your question? I hope that's helpful. I thought that was just fascinating. I've always been a little bit asthmatic as well. So that's an, I always have that cough, you know, that little... Um, that's so good, Louise. And I am 100%. That, to me, I feel like that... You know when you just get that kind of like, I feel like this is a bit that would be really useful to me in my perimenopausal journey i am definitely definitely going to sign up for your course could you tell us a little bit about or just let me just see carol saying i'm breathing through my nose listening to this thank you that's great me too i've been literally doing all of the things that uh, that louise has been telling us to, to do so when i look back on the video of this i'll be like oh my goodness so we're going to make this into a podcast as well so i'll also include all the information that Dr. Louise tells us um, today in the show notes from the podcast as well. So if anyone misses anything or just wants some more detail, we will have that. But Louise, could you just share where people can find you, when your course is, um, what other things that, you know, anything that you want to share so people can find you? Because I think this has been a fabulous um, live in this little series of lives. So thank you. No problem. Um, yeah, so um, I've got my um, my website. So it's, it's a long one. So it's uh, uh, Dr. Louise Oliver, uh, therapeuticlifecoaching.com. And if you forward slash menopause, um, I've tried to um, put stuff that's more relevant towards menopause there. And there's um, 
um, I do individual sessions um, and I've, I've got a group course that's really popular, a virtual one. Um, and actually it, it starts, the next one starts this Sunday. I record it for those people that um, I can't um, attend live. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, the details are on there. And uh, my email is info at drlouiseolivertherapeuticlifecoaching.com. But you'll put this in the show notes, won't you? I will put this in the show notes and I'm going to get this out as quickly as I can. And then also I'll put as much as, obviously we've got Louise's Instagram on here as well. And I imagine that if you go into Louise's Instagram as well, the details of your website will be there as well. Is that right? They are. I am. I am social media. I've, I've uh, on my mindfulness journey. I stopped doing it. Yeah, good. Restarted. Good. Good. Good for it's, you. It's the, it's the way of getting messages out, isn't it? But yeah, I'm not great on the electronics. But there is in my bio actually. There's the link to my website. Perfect. So, uh, Perfect. And I'm definitely going to join because it sounds. It just sounds silly not to have a go at it. Really, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to do you any harm, and it could give so much benefit. Right. Oh, com- completely. Oh, all, all, all I'm doing is te- teaching um, for those people um, that think they're not breathing effectively. We're just, we're essentially, we're just, um, we're, we're teaching you to breathe as you were designed to breathe. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Just, that's it. Modern day life oh. is debuting us to, you know, be more in the fight flight zone. Absolutely. To mouth breathe, fast breathe. Absolutely. We're not breathing, you know. If we all lived as we were designed to live, you know, in nature yeah. and um, completely, yeah. you know, as we were designed to, we, you know, I, I we wouldn't be in this situation. It. Yeah. Yes, we wouldn't. But here we are. <laughs> yes. So we need to use this course. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Midlife AF with Emma Gilmore. If you enjoyed it, please share on Instagram for your friends and tag me at Hope Rising Coaching. If you want to help me grow the podcast, please review the episodes for me on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. If you would like to work further with me, please go to my website, www.hoperisingcoaching.com for my free and paid programs or email me at emma at hoperisingcoaching.com. Sending a massive cuddle to you and yours from me and mine. And remember to keep choosing you.